The following is a conversation. It has the features of any conversation, such as imperfectly expressed thoughts, ill-considered opinions, and the notions of several sleep-deprived brains. Try not to get your stethoscope in a twist about it. Take a look at this. And listeners, you might want to watch our YouTube for this, but Jeff, describe to me what you see. There is a rat, quite obviously a white rat, with something growing out of it or Are growing into sure it. it's not a mouse? Positive. I, I, was, I thought a mouse rat. too, but it's got a naked tail. It's got a naked tail. Oh, oh do mice that, not have naked I didn't realize. Mice don't have a naked Although tail. its head shape does look more mouse than rat. It's really cute. Yeah, but it's also a mat. like thing that is coming out of it is like a cross between like a central nervous system and an umbilical cord. Yeah. And that's a weird combination. I'm close what enough to read. Tumor? Can you read the text from there? Because I'm close enough to read the text. I see the word fat. I think I see that. That actually tubercle. says rat, actually. Oh, no, it is a rat. That's hey. one of the only correct words on this. Yeah. <laughs> this was published in an academic journal, Frontiers. Which well, that's a cell membrane. I, I was going to say, one. I've honestly seen worse. I frankly. Jack Jack Stat. Like, with, yes. Yeah, with these like Jack Stat stuff, with this cell like regulation stuff, I have seen more complicated. I'm Dear God. Pretty sure you know that this was like? in this one of our This looks like the meme today. of like the brains. Like, you know, the one with like the translucent oh, yeah, heads and the, the brains that keeps getting more complicated. That's what that looks like. Am I? This was published in an academic journal called Frontiers which touted the crowdsourcing dynamic of open science for alerting it to the problem here, which is that these are, are all AI-generated oh, images oh, that yeah. that made it into their publication. Yeah, I'm going to be honest, that one, like, okay. I would have to look that, at the details. That mouse not have made it in. Because that <laughs> one looks like something Stop. that could be. What's the purpose of the peer review? Well, the peer review is theoretically to, you know, catch things like that, but it's just like, there's sometimes I have noticed where... And I wonder if this might be the case. I've even noticed a trend of like complicated images. Sometimes your reviewer will just be like, I'm sure it's fine, whatever. Like, mm -hmm. and not to mention reviewers yeah, are have... kind of inherently biased in terms of like, they tend to focus on what their specialty is. Like I had this with my, with my fellowship grant, but. I have a ton of experience at this point, like looking at AI images because it's something that I find very fascinating mm -hmm. as a, as a sort of a general topic. And, and I feel like TikTok. I instantly would have been like this is crap like i what in the world is going on that yeah. there's a there's a there's a label on that rat image that literally says dk dck yeah I, okay that's what i thought, I thought it said <laughs> like what is going on Jump i had other you. things to say about that but that's okay <laughs> she wants to talk about the rat <laughs> Don't I didn't actually. Please, but, please, Miranda, please. I was just gonna say that like that one with the Jack stat was like I have seen images that complicated in like older papers, like before AI oh. imaging. So it's like I, I would totally buy that a reviewer would not have caught that. Because it's like when you get to cell regulation and cell metabolism stuff, you will just see images of like fifty I mean, things. I mean the Krebs cycle to yes. me looks kinda like that. It's not even as complicated as that. Imagine one. that, but that's like a fifth of it yeah. and I, then like everything and it's like all of this i will talk about and i'm like no you're not you're i would love to invite you to some of our immuno lectures yeah, yeah. i i, I did oh, God. i did try to get the ai to generate a krebs cycle the other day just for just for kicks it can describe the krebs cycle real well as far as i can tell but the image is just completely ridiculous there's <laughs> Dave, like Dave's like yeah sure i don't know can i just say the krebs cycle gets so much and i can't we already talked about the fact that i can't swear but gets so much flack and the Krebs cycle does not deserve this. The Krebs it, cycle is 12 steps. It is, it's like complicated, but it's not by far not the hardest thing you learn in medical school. Everyone hates on the Krebs cycle it's and it's the, lovely. It's not that it's the hardest. It is that the energy that you need to study it compared to the utility of it in practicing medicine 
exactly. makes it probably one of the less useful uses of your time. I Which guess. is, I guess, it's, it's fair, but I. It's also one of the most elegant bits of cell metabolism, in my opinion. Like it's just so lovely. It's just such a lovely thing, and it's and this so beautiful. Is why and it's th- interesting. This, this is why certain certain professors like to make songs about it. Yes. Meandering in the margins of medicine, it's the Shortcoat Podcast. Weird news, fresh views, helpful clues, and interviews. By students, for students. Subscribe to our weekly show at theshortcoat.com. Uh, welcome back! To, welcome back to the Shortcode Podcast, the show that gives you an inside look at medical school from the students drinking from that fire hose. It's a production of the University of Iowa Carver College of Medicine. With me today in the SCP studio, oh, I didn't say my name is Dave Etler. Hey, hey, Dave. We know who you are. With me today in the SCP studio, M1 Fallon Jung is here. Hi. We've got MD PhD student Miranda Skeen. Hello. From our studio, I was going to say from our studio. No, this is not quite. It's we've also got M two Jeff Goddard. I am here, yeah, yeah, in person. Forgot me twice. And <laughs> we've got a special guest, an alumni of the Carver College of Medicine and of the podcast, now in his second year of family medicine regi- wow. residency in Nashville, Tennessee. It's Teneme Kone, MD. MD. Good to be back. MD. With the MD. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, we're going to get there. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. It, it happens. One day. How many times have you used the Krebs cycle in clinical practice? Never. Never. <laughs> Not once. Never Not have you used it. Okay. Tenemi, can I ask you a much more personal question? Yeah. Cycle haters. Yeah, go for it. So you're in Nashville. Where are you from? Des Moines, Iowa. Des Moines, Iowa. Okay. I was going to add, mm, nah, Des Moines, Iowa doesn't have anything. No. How's the Nashville barbecue scene stack up? I have not checked it out. I've been mainly kind of hitting up the music scene here. Oh, good. Uh, yeah. A lot of the jazz club has been really nice. I'm, I'm going to be um, up front really, with you. The barbecue scene in Nashville yeah. is going to blow Des Moines out of the water. It's so yeah, good. I, it feels like damning with faint praise, not going to lie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's not really much in Des Moines. I am currently doing my rotations in Des Moines and have not run into good barbecue. But So, so this is just, this oh, is straight cool. up like your personal rant about Des Moines barbecue that you've just inserted well, into our I, conversation. You know, could been, he could have been from North Carolina. He could have been from Texas. He could have been from Louisiana. There are so many you, places that do barbecue uh, in their own unique way. But like but you did, Nashville has a phenomenal flavor to All it. I'm saying is that you did not bring that up because you wanted to talk about like, Nashville barbecue. You brought it up because you wanted to complain about Des Moines barbecue. I feel like no reason from Des Moines when I brought it up. I, I could have, I got, mm, sorry. Oh Miranda, this is on me. Miranda has assumed <laughs> the agent of chaos role. Oh yeah. She walked in with the, the chip on her shoulder. She was ready to fight Listen, when she came she here. As like, far as me. I'm concerned, this is the traditional role of the lab hermit. As I walk in and I just cause, I cause the chaos. She was fair. She's, she's been off, she's been uh, yes. out of action for months, <laughs> and all of a sudden she reappears and is they like, "I'm going to throw this shit right into." They the... brought me out of retirement for one last mission. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, you've joined us just as you're finishing your your first. You said Jeff again. I did, but this time I meant it. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. <laughs> Jeff, you've joined us just as you're finishing your first clerkship. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. What, what, what was it? It was pediatrics, yeah. and I have to admit, it's kind of all downhill from here. Oh, okay. Because you're, you're, you're you like the oh. peds. But yeah. Well, here's here's the thing, guys. I I mean, I don't really care how you feel about kids, but like objectively. I'm going on family med next, and you can you can back me up on this. But like, I'm going to be taking care of you know grandpa, 
and grandpa's a nice guy but like objectively he is less attractive than that okay. newborn that newborn is you just so freaking cute you could be of the newborn though too that's the beauty of family medicine yeah but I also have to take care of grandpa and I really just want to hang out with the next newborn oh, not come on grandpa's grandpa. a lot of good grandpa's fine lessons. I just he so can't compare to like so many good stories a two month old baby is a potato it's a cute potato a sweet smelling a, perfect a loud potato, potato. Uh, a, a, a loud you know what you're doing potato. they're not that loud they're fine oh. Tell me what's your what's your position? I know I need to. <laughs> what's hear. your position that you absolutely do not I, I want to will, take on this? I, my own, I will say I will just add to what he said. I agree in part, but you can't talk to a baby. Y yes, you can talk to you adult. can talk to Adults a baby. They just don't more. talk back. And, which, no, thank you, Jeremy. This argue is my is better. Yeah, and they don't talk back. But that but that talking back is key. That's a, that's. I don't know. All this talk back that Miranda's given me, I feel like I would that, rather that were only like that were only discovered when we were talking about you know our personal lives, each other, things that are kind of outside of medicine. And that's really where you, where you build that rapport Armed. in family medicine. That's when, that's when folks come back and they feel yeah. like, you know, this guy knows who I am, knows what I'm about. Yeah. You know, babies have to come back there. Their parents. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah, but you build that same rapport with the parents. And one of the things that I've loved about yes. peds, I would say 95% of the parents, probably more, they soak it up. They are just so excited to be given the tools to be good parents. You know, every single well child visit, every parent in the hospital trying to figure out what was going on with their kid, every newborn nursery visit that I was doing the rounds on, every one of those parents, they were just so excited for me to tell them how they can be good parents. And I loved it. That was phenomenal. Big fan of that. Tell me, I have a question. So you are in your, Go for it. Fir your first year residency or second year residency? Second year. Okay. Yeah. So are you mostly in a hospital? Are you in a clinic? What does it look like for you? So in our program, first year we do about three months inpatient, and then every week we have at least one clinic day, no matter what rotation we're on. So we have a home clinic that will do a, either a half day or a full day based on what rotation we're on. So if we're on inpatient month, for example, I'll be inpatient Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, from <laughs> 6 to 6, approximately, sometimes 7 to 7. Then I'll have a half day on clinic Thursday. And then every Thursday afternoon is our protected time that's for education, whether that be didactics. Sometimes they'll give us like a resident day where we'll have like a resident retreat where we'll go and kind of do things as a, as a class without faculty. I think oh. we uh, went paintball, I think, oh. last time. Coming up, we're either going to go pickleballing or like a, like, like a group chef class where you oh. all like cook something together and you, kind of, you kind of talk like and bounce off each other a little bit so that's always a lot of fun and so that's kind of the typical layout so every week i know i have one clinic day and then i'll have four days in whatever rotation i'm on and i'll probably get out around 5 4 p.m most days if it's a more intensive rotation maybe 7 p.m and i typically have one weekday off if not both weekdays off the majority of the time that's great. Do you, well, how big is your class? Is it big? Is it little? So my class Medium. was nine residents. The class above me, they had eight residents. And the class below me, they have eight residents. Oh, so it's teeny tiny. Yeah. Is that normal? Yeah. That feels normal. I don't, I don't know. know. I have no normal. idea. Uh, feels I, I mean, I would say for family medicine residency, it's, I would say it's average. Oh, yeah. I was gonna. I was gonna say. Yeah. I think I have. I have a couple friends that went to family med, and I hope they don't listen to this because yeah. I might get this wrong. But I think one of their graduating classes, one of their entering classes, was like four. Another one was more eight. So oh. yeah, but they yeah. don't. They don't know. 
which one you're talking about. So you could be wrong, but they don't know it's about them. I only have the two friends in family medicine. Oh, okay. Well, now they're definitely no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know. If you know, you know. Yeah. Cool. It's like, listen, if you're listening, friends, they already know. <laughs> they already know I'm bad at this. I, why? Again, this this is not about this show is not about accuracy. It's yeah. about yeah. Hogwash. It's about it's vibes. We're here it's about for, vibes. Yeah. We're yeah. about. It's about the vibes. If it makes right. you feel any better. I don't even know how many kids are in my medical school class, and I'm in my medical school class. So. Yeah. If it makes you feel better, I've completely stopped paying attention to the medical school classes. <laughs> I don't know any of you y'all. Just let them just watch them walk out the door. Yeah, I have no I'm just idea like, bye. <laughs> have fun advancing in your careers. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to ask you about your first year of residency, especially like the first weeks of your residency. What was it like in your first weeks? That first week, I was just thinking, man, this is f-ing awesome. <laughs> yeah. This is awesome. I'm in Nashville. I'm driving around. I feel like I've made it. it you know, I've got my I've got my, my white coat, both my white coats on. Hell, <laughs> at the same time. You know, Wait, do you want to have just, a long at the same coat? time? Like walking <laughs> into the grocery store, like, no, no, no. It's it's actually doctor. Wait, wait, wait. Do you have a long white no, coat? No, it was now? good. Huh? You have a long white coat now. Yeah, so the M1 is you, so you finally, easily You finally so get cute. your long white coat and you're like, all right, I've I've made it. You, your name's on it. You got MD. You, you're graduated. Your med school is now behind you. You realize that right? it's like, behind you. Okay. And you're just looking forward. It was great that first week. Oh. Yeah. Did you take me back? Oh. <laughs> Mm. How's well, it been since? <laughs> ups, uh, ups and downs, like uh, as as life goes. You know, sometimes you're you're challenged. You got to make adjustments. You got to step up. Sometimes you don't meet the mark, and you got to try again. So there's been there's been ups and downs, of course. But you know, I feel like I was really fortunate in where I ended up. I feel like I'm in a good environment. You know, I, I can face the challenges that are ahead of me, and I can be successful. That how how is the confidence curve curve in the in the beginning? Oof. Oh man, rough. It, it it kind of feels like med school where it's like when you when you oh, first no. start out, you're kind of cocky, and then you start learning some shit, and then you're like, oh, actually, I'm not that smart. Um, <laughs> and, and then you start, and, and, and then you start like you know, like like trying to fix all your all your knowledge gaps, and then you're like, all right, I I kind of feel smart again, and then you meet someone else who's like a genius, and you're like, all right. Yeah, I, I got to keep working. I'll be so. honest though, that's actually been really nice. Me like being yeah. on my clinical rotations, I love to see the residents stump. Because I'm like, okay, the nobody's expecting, like, I'm definitely not expected to be, you know, I think that's what an, a lot of people, expert in everything. Yeah. I think that's what a lot of people kind of miss or don't really think about when they first start their, their rotations is like, nobody expects you to be, you know, a, yeah. a genius. Yeah. I point, showed up right? expecting that. Like, I thought like they want me to have like attending level ability here and I walk in and the, the residents like. I don't know how long neutrophils are in the blood. Like two months? And I'm like, all right, okay, we're all done here. We're learning together. And then we make sure we take care exactly. of our patients. I love that. Yeah. And exactly. I, I've, I've kind of that's sta- really important. Yeah. I've kind of started to see a lot of life and training as a cycle of becoming confident in the knowledge. Confidence gets unseated, building it back up. It becomes unseated again by something else. And it's just like, because it's like every time the confidence dips, it's like it sucks because it's humbling. But it's also like this is the step in the journey. Like this makes you more successful and more knowledgeable the next time around. Yeah. And if you're not like constantly being taken down a peg and then bringing yourself back up, you're like, what are you learning? Yeah, exactly. It's like if if you were confident enough and you know everything, that's about the time when it's like you definitely don't. Because if you know everything, you'll know what you don't know. I And this is true 
I think for everybody who has a career or maybe even who just lives is like, yeah, you know, you're, you just, there are times when you're like, I know exactly what I'm doing. <laughs> and then there are other times when you're like, I should not be here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who let me, <laughs> who let me do this? this and, is- and, and that's something you'll feel in residency. Sometimes <laughs> you, you'll see a patient, they'll come in the history, history is bang on exams, bang on everything fits and you're just like this is what you got and they're like thank you so much you give a medication they come back two weeks later it's gone and you're just like hell yeah you know <laughs> so the, there's that and then there's the, like there's the i'm not quite sure i've got two or three ideas we'll, we'll deal with what's most likely first we'll use the most cost effective least risky treatment options first and then we'll go from there see you back in a week you know, so those are the kind of the, the two sides that you're always kind mm-hmm. of ping ponging back and forth based on your confidence with that, with that chief complaint, the complexity of, of the chief complaint or any other social or medication factors that are going on. So like a lot of patients we see, like they're on chronic pain medication and if they're having, a, you know, problems with constipation or, or their bowels, sometimes it's not as simple as let's just stop the opioid because maybe they need to be on it to, to, to do their physical therapy to maintain their mobility yeah. in order to keep taking care of their, their mom or whatever. So there's all these like little things that can kind of complicate what needs and can make what can be a simple problem, a more complicated problem yeah. just based on what other real life factors. So that's also, that's also a part of the curriculum is dealing with these kind of oddities that you don't, that you're not confronted with as a medical student. Yeah. I think my problem has been kind of two things. One so I'll be on the wards and I have pretty bad RBF when I'm out and about. Mm-hmm. And I have like the same kind of tone, you know, I'm a very dry speaker most of the time. And so people assume that I'm confident. So I have to specifically say, I have no idea what's going on, but here's my assessment and plan based on, I don't know, because they'll take me serious. They're like, wow, you sounded like really confident about that. Like you really know what's going on. Like, no. That's, I don't. <laughs> and then the other side of that is like yesterday I took the shelf exam for pediatrics. This is the exam you take at the end of every rotation. Right. And I remember reading one vignette. It's like just nailing home this idea of like these opportunistic infections that are like very high, highly associated oh. with HIV infection. I'm like, this kid has HIV. That's the answer. And I get down. It's not even one of the options. Oh, like, oh, I hate that. Oh, yeah, boy, that that, one hurt, that yeah. hurt my feelings. Um, so. Yeah. <laughs> hurt my feelings. Yeah. <laughs> I feel so good about it. I'm like, boom, boom. Raise your hand if you've been personally victimized by a shelf exam. <laughs> <laughs> that is me. Oh, <laughs> oh good. It's not just Yeah, me. everyone who's seen a shelf exam. We all, we all, we all victims here, victimized. man. We all victims. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the shelf exams take no prisoners. <laughs> anyway. Was intern year as difficult as you were told or you thought it was? I think I came in prepared, but I think I was prepared because the program really kind of helped us transition. So they gave us, you know, two to four weeks of like, of what's it called? Like onboarding, mm-hmm. just kind of orientation, I guess, showing us what's up, showing us all our different kind of clinical sites, making sure we were set up in terms of our other logistical stuff, whether it be like apartment and, you know, getting set up getting our lives set up if we had families and stuff sure. as well. So having that time to kind of get our roots in before hitting residency full speed, I think really helped a lot of us make that more comfortable. I think the fact that it is family medicine and we're not working, you know, like 80 hours every week, 
that definitely helps because that allows you to have time to do classes, you know, go for a walk at the park. Like I can go to the gym and go home and still get work done and still be in bed by 930. If I, mm-hmm. if I want to, if I don't, I'll stay up till 12, you know, so we so, check like, out that music. Just have, scene. Just, yeah, exactly. So just, just having, having that flexibility is, is really important. So what do you do? Um, like 60 also, hours it's really a week? valuable. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, cause it's like, family medicine is still one of the more like time intensive specialties. Like, so you don't work 80 hours a week to work 79 hours a week. No, nice. Not, not typically if we're on the inpatient rotation, we'll, we'll approach 80 hours, but typically we don't go over it. Gotcha. If we're on other rotations, it's probably more like 60 to 55 ish okay. hours a week average. And that's over like five, 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 have weekdays typically and then we have that protected time thursday afternoon right so you can always kind of rely on that thursday break no matter what's going on so if there is looking back on it now if there was something that you could have changed in your medical education or like um was there something that you wish that you would have known going in or known better going in i think i would have explored other specialties more as a medical student, um, because I I think I was I was really focused into going into anesthesia actually, mm. and and that did not work out, and that kind of left me a, a, a little in the air because all of my all of my focus, all of my effort, all of what I had been building myself up to be was to be an anesthesiologist, and so when that didn't happen, I really had to refine myself, kind of put myself back together, and then try to find a, a way forward. So I would say, looking back, if I had thought of, if I had considered other specialties, even like, you know, 10% more across all of them, I think it would have, I think it would have either made me more certain in my desire to be an anesthesiologist, maybe that would have pushed me to work a little bit harder, or, you know, on the opposite side, it would have made, you know, making that transition a little bit less jarring, so. Mm-hmm. What was it, can I ask a a yeah. Personal question then. What what was it like realizing that anesthesia was not going to work out? Oh, it sucked. Oh. I was just like, man, like this is it's a hard left. I guess we should be um, specific. How did you find out that it was <laughs> if you want to talk oh. about this? Oh, how did I find out? Oh, okay. So I didn't match and then had to do soap, end up going into family med. So I think in the end, it worked out because here's something else that I learned going through this. I think this was the biggest takeaway. No matter what job I'm doing, I'll be the one doing it. And so I can, I still get to do, you know, the work in a way that is in line with my values of what I think is right, what I think is wrong. And so whether, whether if I'm an anesthesiologist or a family med doc, I will still be a doctor. I will still be doing things. I'll still be, I will still be managing things. I will still be applying my knowledge and making a difference. And so with that, I was like, you know what, if, if, if one door closing, I'm looking for the next door that's opening, you know, and I'm picking the best door I can. And I'm, I'm just staying true to, you know, what I wanted to do in the first place, which was to help people. So I mean, in a, in a way it kind of made me kind of re-steal myself a little bit more and then keep going forward. Yeah. You, you seem happy with how it worked out. It, 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 it really, it really did make me grow. And I, I think now that I'm in this place now, I feel like I've become a, a bigger person as a result. So mm-hmm. I'm happy with the growth that I have, but what I had wanted things to not go this way, of course, I, 
I don't think anybody wants to have a hard time in life, yeah. you know, yeah. any more than what's sure. necessary. <laughs> Were there any surprises for you about being a resident physician? Yeah. I mean, you get a lot more respect. I was, I wasn't ready for that. You know, like <laughs> I'm still, not, I'm still waiting. Hospital, <laughs> like people, people just kind of like get out of the way and you're like, oh, it's, it's cool. Like, <laughs> I, I'm just like, you yeah. You know, so I, I think that was a surprise, just kind of people, people kind of addressing you as like, sir, you know, doc, and just kind of having that, that higher, that higher kind of level of respect that you don't always get as constantly as a med student. So that was a nice surprise. Mm. I did get mistaken for a doctor the other day at the hospital. I did not correct them. Oh. <laughs> <I> just, <laughs> just kept on rolling some nurses were talking in the elevator and i guess i had just i was leaving clinic and i was in so i was in like you know nicer clothes kind of like this i guess yeah and oh, you weren't wearing your you weren't wearing your coat i wasn't wearing a coat yeah um because you don't wear your coat right. to most clinics right yep and I was, so i was just wearing an outfit very similar to this and i think i had my stethoscope still on because i just i wasn't thinking about it so it was like you know around my shoulders and i was on the elevator and i was kind of joshing with the nurses and they made a comment about like life's kind of hard. Like it's been a kind of a rough day in the hospital or whatever. And I was like, yeah. And like, yeah, you get it. You're a doctor. And then I was like, I'm going to let this one, yep. I'm going to let this one go. This feels nice. I'm gonna- <laughs> this, this is one. not one of those situations where I'm required to. It's yeah. funny. I've had a similar experience, but someone thought I was a nursing student. Uh, so, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. go oh, figure. No. No, yeah. I think, I don't remember. I think That's it was a free us. medical clinic, but it was like, I was like, I'm a, like, I'm a student. I'll be starting. And it's like, Oh, a nursing student. I'm like, Oh, whatever. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> like yes. I, cor- I had to correct them because the ner- the questions I was asking are obviously not nursing questions, but this is like, mm. yeah, that's that's hard. I will say, just just, just uh, checking your will, privilege I'll, real quick. Yeah. <laughs> I will I will say my my opinion on like always wearing my professional attire change as a resident as a med student. Like I don't like wearing my short white coat, mm-hmm. but as a resident, like wearing wearing your coat and always making sure people can identify you really does make a difference in your workday. Yeah. So like now, now I'm on team, you know, I, I at least have a badge and some kind of attire that shows like what I'm doing. Yeah. I've um, actually, and that, really does make, that, that makes a big difference. I've actually noticed that this varies a lot just depending on like what clinic you're in. Like I, th- I feel yeah. like if I, if I'm wearing my white coat around here, like my student white coat, it actually like, it makes me look less mature. Like mm-hmm. I, I've, mm-hmm. I've actually noticed that people will take you less seriously wearing your white coat around where it's like, and even in other clinics, I've noticed a lot of physicians don't do it. They just wear the badge and the stethoscope. But like when I've been doing more procedural stuff, you know, everybody's wearing scrubs. So the doctors wear the scrubs and a white coat as well. And that was like mm-hmm. a visual differentiation. And then there's some that don't. So I've actually noticed this varies a lot by like clinic and by specialty. Mm, that's interesting. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> so family med residency is three years. Is that correct? Yeah, three years. Okay. But you have the ability to, like, go into fellowship? Is that a thing you <laughs> yes. can do? Yeah. Do you plan yep. on doing There are that? fellowship options. Do you plan on doing that, or is that not something that you're that interested in? That's not something I'm that interested in. I don't think there's anything I want to do that would require me to get a fellowship to do it, essentially. What are the fellowships? Um, so like, oh, sorry. Yeah. So what are the fellowships? Yeah, yeah. So I think some of the big buckets is like sports medicine. Mm-hmm. There's OB, sports medicine, OB. There's like pain medicine. I think you can do addiction potentially as well. I think pain addiction are a little smaller 
-hmm. like there's not as many as many spots for those two mm -hmm. but those are the ones that i know off, off the top of my head at least the ones that i was interested in gotcha in potentially doing if i was going to do one but i think from the docs i've talked to a lot of them kind of recommended that i go straight into practice and just kind of get my get you know get through those first two or three years where you really do a lot of your growth working as an ind fully independent doc so i, I really want to make sure i minimize the time between me finishing residency and getting in those getting through those first three years and really kind of establishing myself getting a good patient panel and then and then from there i might do a fellowship you know in the future if i think it's necessary uh but i feel like doing it now the cost like that's one less year worth of pay that's your loans you know get one more year worth of growth and there's things that i want that i want to do in life as well right you know like i, I want to travel i want to buy a house you know there's certain goals that i want to meet and so i think going straight into work is the best way to kind of be in line with my goals yeah absolutely so i have a question <clears throat> yeah um it's a bit of a pivot um since you brought up sports medicine um that's just a little that's a little funny for me you can cut that out <laughs> um, um so okay. you're so you are in family medicine you are you get the first touch right you're putting the ball in play so to speak when it comes to healthcare. <laughs> Miranda just cannot handle these it's just the phrasing the first touch matters yeah well here's okay so yeah I, I, sorry, I didn't sorry. Need to it's go a sports into, thing yeah oh, oh, I would okay. prefer I, I don't really like I watch car racing <laughs> that's fine yeah so I, I don't like combat metaphors I, I tend to go with either sports metaphors or another metaphor that I can find short coats if this episode is worth listening to this far it's worth sharing so blast us on your socials and if you want a sticker for your trouble Send us a screenshot. Thanks. You're like your first point of contact for for people experiencing healthcare in our country. How's that going? From from like that perspective, you know, like oh. like the fact oh, that yeah, that's, that's there's, a, I mean, there's question, a lot on your man. shoulders, you know. That's wow, a great you question. are yeah, oh, so flexible. Yeah. Oh my no, god, yeah. his arms have vanished. Oh my god, that's because there's so much oh, weight on god. his shoulders Sorry. carrying. There's a lot. I mean, <laughs> that, that question, that question, so deep. So I would say, from the good side, it's hella rewarding because you're 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 kind of the quarterback in what's going on. Like like they come to you, they, they want to get something done, and it's like, yes, I can do it, or. I got to punt you to someone else that knows better than I do. Love the sports and, but, but, but that, But that doesn't mean that, you know, I'm not involved. I'm not following along with, with what the specialist is doing. It just means that I, I'm there if you have any questions. Because all, all these specialists, like, they have, like, you know, six, you know, five, nine-month follow-ups, you know. And so they can't see them as frequently as they can see me. But I can read the specialist notes. I can call their office if there's questions. I can see kind of what they're doing. And... and and, and I can help, you know, facilitate their plan, right? And the specialists are only going to deal with their small chunk of medicine with regard to that patient. Mm -hmm. But that patient has everything else that's going on. And, and it's my job to kind of keep everything else in perspective for the patient while kind of being, you know, at, at the very least up to date with what's happening with the specialists. And so yeah. you really are sitting back. You're you're looking at the big picture. You're, you're trying to make the best of a not great situation in a lot of cases, but that doesn't mean there's not, you know, room for improvement. And many times there's a lot of room for improvement, especially when folks come in as new patients, they got, you know, 20, 30 medications. First thing I do is a lot of times I can cut 
people's bed list down by half. You know, if they're if they're on more than 10 medications, you know, oh, a lot yeah. of times they're on things that are not necessary, that are kind of overkill. And when you cut back some medications, they'll actually start feeling better. They'll have less kind of erroneous symptoms that kind of bother them. They don't know what's causing it. And so that really makes a big difference. Just being able to sit back, get the whole picture and trying to make the best of what's going on. Mm-hmm. So I have a follow up to that. Um, yeah. We have talked about on this podcast more than once the idea that um, there is a trend in American medicine toward hyper specialization, right? Um, and there is also something we haven't talked as much about. There is a trend toward, um, I don't want to say hyper generalization, but increased generalization for the general practitioners. What I mean is, you have orthopedic surgeons who essentially they like focus on the right knee, right? Like they just, they get so specialized. I do operations on this finger. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, that's their world. And they get so good at it that they, it, you know, it's kind of an accident. Sometimes they're just getting referred the same thing over and over and over. Cause you know, people are like, yeah, you did a really great job on that other guy's right knee. You're going to get all the right knees or whatever, you know, but but that happens. I, I dump on ortho a lot. They're doing fine. They've got three yachts. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't feel bad. But, Ortho's so easy to dunk on, it's, though. Yeah, it's like it's they're some, so easy to dunk some on. Are just you know giving it yeah. up. It's because they're focused too much on upper body. You know, yeah. they, don't, they, don't, they don't do cardio. Yeah, um, they don't. They don't do leg days. They don't skip leg day. Yeah, they're skipping their leg days. So oh, no. I guess they're my my concern with over generalization is essentially you know it's it's almost expected as the primary care provider and family medicine that you're like you're taking into account not only all of their medical needs but also their their para medical needs their yeah, pseudo medical so. needs things like looking at their social history looking at you know their their diet looking at their mm-hmm. ability their financial plan looking at where they're living and how that is affecting their health and it's kind of creating like i don't know it, it almost feels like the more some practitioners are forcing themselves into a smaller and smaller tent the more our primary care providers are almost being forced by society to fill a bigger and bigger role in order to properly provide good health care. Yeah. Am I, am I wrong in that assumption? Do you feel like you're seeing that or, or what's your experience with that? No, I, I think, I think that's the reality. I think that's the reality, you know, is as we get more specialized, it just means that there's less people doing things that people still need to have done essentially. And that kind of falls back on the on the family care because again, like we are kind of the first and the last folks you see a lot of the times. If you're not dying, if if you end up dying, last person you're gonna see is probably a hospitalist. You know, so we are we're we're kind of the entrance and the exit of, of the medical system in a lot of cases. And when people are entering something, you know, if things go wrong, wrong, if you if you if you, if you miss something. So for example, if a patient you know comes into the hospital, they're sick. You think they have pneumonia, you, you, you treat them for pneumonia, but let's say that you missed a UTI, right? You already gave them recephin, they were there, they were getting monitored. If they had gotten worse, you, you probably would have known about it. You would have been clued in by their ultimate status and you probably would have caught the UTI on day two or day three if you had missed it on admission, right? But when that patient is leaving the hospital, that's actually the most critical time because that's when they're coming out of that safety wing back into the outside world and your job is to say will this patient be safe going out and what do they need to be safe and if they're not going to be safe where can they go and if they can't go there are there any other options yeah. right and so that 
that's kind of where the unfun kind of starts in and kind of where you, you start running into walls and barriers and complications. Yeah. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I have heard um, a lot of really heart wrenching stories about like patients where it's yeah. like, well, they're not sick anymore. Like we fix them, but like, you know, and actually this happened to my grandma where it's like, she had to stay an extra like three days in hospital because her, you know, care facility did not accept transfers on weekends. And it's like, they said she was ready to go home on a Friday afternoon, but it's like, sorry, you have to stay here another two days, you know, in an unfamiliar city because the bus won't come for you. And it's like, that's a, and like, that's a very benign example, but it's an example of a type of just like, there's factors in you know making these decisions that are not medicine based that you still have to make because you are the point of contact mm-hmm. and you're also trying to you know act in their best interest mm-hmm. right it's like just because we can do this option that may, maybe it's easier but i i know it's worse for you yeah. like i me in good faith i still have to try to to get you the more proven tested option first you know so that's also a challenge as well. It's like, do we do what's easier, but maybe not as much benefit, or do we kind of squeeze a little harder and try to get more benefit, maybe less likely to go through with insurance, right? Yeah. And there's a, and there's a time cost of that too, right? It, 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 if we do one, we can't do the other because if I if I do both options, insurance is not going to like it, right? Yeah. So, yeah. And that's a part of the shared decision making process with the patient, and so that's one. I I bring patient. I'm like, hey, we can do A, we can do B. If we do A, insurance will push back a bit. I can say, hey, it's, it's worked the last couple of times I've done it, or it doesn't usually work. Or we can do B. We can do it today. It's cheaper. Might not work. Could work. You know, and just kind of share the risks and the benefits of both of those options with the patients, and and kind of aid them making a decision, and also providing my expert opinion if they if they would like to hear it. You know, so that's how I approach it. Now that you're a second year resident, has Mm -hmm. your idea of what medical school is supposed to accomplish changed? So in other words, when you were in medical school, you thought, oh, this is what medical school is for. And then when you got out and you started like experiencing your profession as a professional, did you did 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 you think that, oh, that's what medical school is really supposed to be doing? No, tough question. I, I think there's definitely parts of medical school that are unnecessary, but I, but I think by and large, a lot of it is necessary. Um, well, I need to know and, what parts you think are unnecessary. Doesn't but matter, in terms you still of, but in but in terms of what it's supposed to teach you and the transition to residency, I think it's just so hard because as a medical student, like you you can't be confronted with the full scope of real world medicine because it's just too much. Like mm-hmm. if you came in first day and you had to take a history, you know, do do an exam, give me assessment plan, give me your top three differentials for each assessment, give me medications first line for each of those, and tell me about her social history and why she can't get that because of her insurance, and do that in thirty minutes, like it'd be way too much. So I think the fact that medical school is kind of more focused on the basics, I think, is good because once you have those down, now we can add on all this other nonsense with yeah. the complications yeah. and why you can't do the first line option and why you have to get a little bit creative now and kind of walk into the art of medicine. So I, I asked this question because I have a theory that um, medical school is really 
what medical school really does is teach you how to be a medical learner Mm. and residency is what teaches you how to be a doctor Mm. i I agree with that yeah okay yeah which i like which i like because if we can circle back to the krebs cycle Yes. Much in the same I, way. I think we always do. Every round back of the Krebs cycle, cycle produces uh, a molecule of. Is it, is it a, no, acetylcholine goes in. Yeah. Molecules of ATP. You're the you PhD. Know. You tell I me. Know. I, I know. I say, you can't bad. bring it up and then not know it. I do ion channels. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, but it's like. You, you you don't need to know it in your daily practice, but like if you're ever talking to someone and they mention that like, oh, this, you know, particular drug or this particular treatment raises levels of, you know, alpha ketoglutarate, you might not remember specifically what that does, but you will like pick, like pick up in your mind, like, wait a second, I know that that's a metabolic thing. So you'll know like what to be looking for down the road. Mm-hmm. Like it might not necessarily be like, oh, I know this cofactor and this cofactor, but like taking the time to know all of that means that the basics will be stored in your memory it's forever. It's in there somewhere. It's in there can, somewhere. You know and how to I get will say that I, I am yeah. very grateful for the 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 praise that you're giving me that I'm going to remember that alpha ketoglutarate has something <laughs> with met- metabolism. Well, it's like, like yeah, yeah, it's probably a thing. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a broad association, but it's there. It's yeah. there somewhere. Yeah. So it sounds like you deal with a lot of social determinants of health while like while you're working currently. Did you feel oh. adequately prepared for that from medical school, or if you didn't? How have you gotten that information or like how have you learned those things besides trial and error? And secondly, I am actually interested in in what parts of medical school you think are uh, like, you know, not useful. And I only say that because they're like, obviously, there's room for improvement everywhere, not necessarily getting rid of things, but like. You know, how could it have been more relevant to you in some way? This is where you're gonna write on the exams when they're asking. It's like, were there any errors? You know, it's like, yeah, I was talking to a resident, and this doesn't matter. So take it off. <laughs> you shouldn't have asked oh, me this. It's rude of you. <laughs> okay. Oh man. So I guess in terms of like medical school, what was most relevant? I would say the core rotations super relevant. Go hard on those. You know, that first year of didactics first year and a half really 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 relevant i would say when you get into fourth year and there's more downtime and you're not you're not really doing your core rotations you're just kind of like hanging out for a year at least that's how that's how my last year kind of felt that's how it, it felt, felt when more i was like, watching like I was it. hanging out yeah so i mean i think fourth year could definitely be condensed and maybe maybe shortened or i don't know uh but i think that's where i would start first uh i think I think the first two and a half years when you're doing didactics and core, that's really where you get a lot of your good growth. Yeah. And I feel like that's where that's where I really grew where in was in that first two, two and a half years. And then that last that last year, I felt like my growth was not as high. That was more about just kind of getting ready professionally and kind of doing other things. But I guess there's really no way around that. Yeah, what was your other question? I think oh, I, I um, it's social determinants of health. Yeah. Did you social, feel okay. prepared? And then if not, how are you learning that information now besides trial and error? I don't think there's really any way you can be prepared for that. It's it's just it's it's it, it, it's just such a moving target. So I guess I wasn't really prepared for it in medical school. But, I mean, by medical school. And unfortunately, the, the best way I've learned it is through trial and error. It is the best teacher. We do have some didactics that are kind of 
geared towards social determinants of health and residency program. It is something that is kind of stressed by ACGME. And so like all programs have to have some component of it as a part of their curriculum. My, my program specifically, we do like some residents are doing like projects that are kind of focused around that. And so I think one of my one of our interns are doing this like project where they go to a, a local park in in Antioch, which is a, a city here in Tennessee, and they, they they just walk, kind of promote health, try to get community involvement, make it be like a group walking activity. And I think they potentially could be, you know, they could parlay into like a, a research study in the future or if it becomes bigger, it could become a, a bigger tradition and just trying to promote health in the local communities. Um, and of course, with, with our with our continuity clinic, which is the main clinic that we, we work at, we see a very diverse population just based on where it's located in Nashville. So that's really rewarding. I, I think I think the best way to learn social determinants of health is to be in it. You know, you, you can't you can't learn it in a lecture. You know. Yeah, you can. I suppose you're sort of being primed in yeah. medical school to think about these things. Mm-hmm. But it's only when you really start to see them in action, either in, you know, clerkships or in, in you know, when, once you're once you're a resident, like that's got to be the that's got to be the time when you you're really the rubber is really meeting the road, I, I imagine. Exactly. There you go. We got to, we got the cars for you. Yeah. Yay. The rubber. Yay. It's, it's out of my mind because the Formula One season starts next week Ooh, um, from when we're recording this. That's very exciting this. for you. Oh, so when this comes out, it'll actually be in like two days because the Bahrain <laughs> Grand Prix is on May 2nd or March 2nd. Excuse me. March 2nd. The what Grand Prix? Bahrain. That's the season opener is in, is in Bahrain. You're an F1 girly. I am an F1 yeah, girly. There you go. I've been told that the one in Indianapolis, what's that one called? <laughs> the Indianapolis the Indi- 500. Oh, that one. <laughs> That's not it. <laughs> I've been told that that one is the largest gathering, annual gathering of Period. humanity. Oh, Period. gosh. Of humanity? Oh, wow. So it is, it is <laughs> the largest religious gathering because, let's be honest, sports <laughs> is a religion. Checks all the boxes. Yeah. So good for you. Yeah. That, I don't watch that one. That's no? that's not Formula John One. Green goes to that one. I John Green just to that one. That. Yeah, <laughs> Did you read? Really, Jeff always. You? Jeff is like. No, I'm just. You should have a bingo card for Jeff. I'm like, so happy because John Green in I've the been podcast. Like, I feel like I've been hanging out recently in circles where people don't know who Hank or John Green are before they were on like TikTok, and I'm like, yes, people that <laughs> yeah, know the Green too. Brothers. Thank goodness. Yeah, Hank Green's like I've, becoming a really famous science TikToker guy. I have been following these guys since like original Pizza John. Like, yeah, it's oh, been yeah. a minute. Uh, yeah. All the way in Brotherhood 2.0. <coughs> yes. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. I I, I didn't find them till 2011, but like still. <laughs> Grew up on the brothers. Oh, oh they're so I know. Good. Basically raised me, quite frankly. Yeah, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> I just like that was like, out, like that was still at a time when it was like nerds were transitioning into being cool, but weren't quite cool yet. Mm. So it was like a kind of a weird time to you know be a teenager. And yeah. that was just like, hey, it's definitely a weird time. Teenage I think teenagers. Te- I think it's weird, always though. a weird it's time always to weird. be a teenager. You know what? You're not wrong. <laughs> I think the problem. <laughs> we've talked about this before, but I think nerds started becoming cool with the movie Revenge of the Nerds. Yeah. In the many sitcom that. spoofs since that, it's before your time. Trust me. Yeah, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. If I, I'm not sure you. if I agree. But here's my argument. But it has never been fun to be a teenager, and so you True. get to adulthood as a nerd, and you're like, oh there are yeah. there are other nerds out there who accept me like i can go to cosmic like comic-con or whatever this is a thing like i yeah. can play board games with my yeah. friends this is a thing but as a teenager 
nobody nobody likes being a teen gender and teenagers yeah. are going to pick on each other for literally everything See, they can i was actually going to say that harry potter's rise in popularity was about when i noticed the inflection point well it's about was, the same time fair enough i revenge just revenge of the nerds is 80s and then harry potter started in the 90s, 90s so yeah. okay <laughs> Tenemi, are we a nerd or a jock or both or i was i was more nerd yeah like i i i was like when i was like you in my body, but I was definitely a nerd. The man went the to medical school. Of course, he's a nerd. Oh. <laughs> yeah, but is he a nerd? There's there's scales uh, of nerd. Scales. No, nerd nerd to jock is not an either or. It's a spectrum. So the question is flawed. Yeah. Well, I'm a flawed man. No, <laughs> we love you all the same. We love flawed, you. Flawed human mm-hmm. being. <laughs> Uh, well, I had more to talk about on today's show, but I think we have to stop. We have five more minutes. Well, Fallon yeah. has I'll, to go. No, no, no. It's okay. I'll just pop out and you guys keep doing your yeah. thing. Thank you so much, Shemai. This was really interesting. And thank you for letting me from letting me learn from you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I yeah. wanted to look at Medscape's Physician <laughs> Lifestyle and Happiness Report. Can I just say that little girl's neck looks like it's broken and it's physically disturbing me. Fair. <laughs> and I don't like her yeah. head angle. She's got a sternocleidomastoid. Uh, yeah. strain. She's That's got some going on. Going on. Yeah. It's go on. Uh, uh, I want your top three differentials. Also <laughs> <the> mo- <laughs> I'm going with the sternocleidomastoid. Probably hearing no, no, issue. You're good, you're good. Yeah, I'm winning. <laughs> y- you are winning. I don't remember any of this. <laughs> it's been years since I've had to diagnose anything other than a runny nose. That's the important one. Yeah. So this uh this Medscape's physician lifestyle and happiness report. It's just basically a survey of. Yeah. Of uh, physicians and, you know, the kinds of things that they do and, and experience as far as their lifestyle and that happiness. therapy number needs to be way higher. <laughs> this slide is how physicians try to maintain their happiness and, and mental health. I feel like these are all pretty yeah. un- unsurprising unsurprising yeah. things. I mean, I would say that the therapy is probably the most surprising. Yeah, I'm but surprised. But there's not more. But yeah, although then yeah, again, because because like this, this was with docs, right? So we all know better. Yeah, exactly. So, okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna push back on this. Oh. I'm gonna push back on this. I think therapy is important and valid and useful. But here's my pushback. I don't go to the doctor to maintain my physical health. You know, I'll do like my checkups and stuff, but like. I'm not regularly going. They give me the tools and then I go and apply those tools in my personal life. Right. And I think the therapy can be yep. more or less the same way where it, you can, you can go to therapy for, for a time or for an issue, gain the tools and then go and do some maintenance that doesn't require you to go back to therapy. Fair, for a long time. fair enough. Actually. Yeah. yeah. I think, I think people often use therapy to just try to figure something specific out. Yeah. And, and, and I oh. think that it should be like for, I mean, for a period of time. Yeah. You go and you see, and I mean, you get your therapy and then you go to, yeah. Back I mean, to exercising or sleeping. I think that's completely or, fair. I'm just surprised it's that yeah. low. Like that's no, yeah, like 11 percent is a very and, low and number. <laughs> it, 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 it could have been phrased as only like you know going to see someone as therapy in the question stem. What were they? You know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. We yeah. don't exactly know how that was phrased. That's because true. you know yeah. for some for, for some people exercise for me exercise is therapy. Sleeping is therapy. You know, yeah. like like making. A good meal is therapy. And see, that's so, kind of my point. It's like PT yeah, or OT, exactly. right? Like yeah. you go to them, you learn the skills, and then you go and do the therapy at home. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I also, I already have kind of some beef for the survey already because activity slash hobbies that I enjoy is such a broad category that includes yeah. at least two of the other ones. Like Re- respondents could choose more than one. But like, yes. <laughs> I, I still don't <laughs> like that phraseology. Would you take less pay for better work-life balance? Fifty-four percent said yes. I'm, hmm. I'm, 
I'm not surprised by that. I'm not no? surprised. Okay. I'm surprised it's not, not surprised. higher, but I'm not surprised. I think the problem is that medical students freak out because they've got this $200,000 in debt. Yeah. And then they become an attending and they're making two, $300,000 and they're like, wait, maybe, maybe the money isn't what mattered when I was making my decision about lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. And I will say that the debt thing I imagine accounts for a lot of those no respondents. Yeah. Are physicians conflicted as parents due to work demands? Hey, um, there's that bar. I was <laughs> very <laughs> those bars. Women are very conflicted. Yeah, women are more conflicted than men at the at the top end. Yeah, of yeah. these scales. Yeah, uh, shocking. Yeah. Exactly zero people. Yeah. How do how doctors prioritize more personal and family time? Oh, that's so. If they're below age forty five. That's kind of sad that as I get older, it's less. Well, hang on. Let me let me no, describe I, this. I can think that makes sense because your kids are older, so it's is like because it there's less. Yeah, I mean, you're less so, worried so about missing like oh, the big milestones, you know, yeah. or like no, soccer that, game. Or, you're right. That makes sense. That yeah. makes sense. I I guess it's yeah. like I I think of 45 as like your kids are seven. Like <laughs> like that's where I'm thinking. <laughs> so my my in laws are not 50 yeah. yet, and my wife's 37 or 27. She's not 37. Yeah, she's 27. So like yeah, you know they've but, got four kids out of the house already and they're not quite 50 yeah. so oh, yeah no know. like like personal bias like i think like my parents had like me at quite like a relatively older time yeah. so it's like my scale is off yeah now you skipped one how doctors prioritize more ugh, how doctors <laughs> prioritize more personal and family time by gender so men and women are being compared here and men say it's like i want to know what the sem it's, not, it's very important women so I'm trying to interpret this for a non-visual audience. Yeah, go, look, go look at our YouTube. Yeah. They're donuts. Yeah. Men, it's 68% very important. Women, at 76 which is like different, but it's not that big of a gap. I can't see the other two percentages, but I, I feel bad for that 1% on both of them, which is not at all important. It's like, oh, why? <laughs> <laughs> it's sad. My personal time is not important. Yeah. Well, I can feel like some people find like they define themselves as a physician. If that's like where you're getting your life satisfaction, that is... That is the fulfillment. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so they don't need the outside fulfillment as much. Which I can I can respect that. I'm not saying that that's who I am. Yeah. I define myself as father. I, I can respect but I can, that. I, can, I, can, I get it. Yeah. I don't think it's healthy. But I, I can respect it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Speaking of healthy, how healthy is your diet? I love sick. Oh, God. Well, <laughs> Some, I'm definitely I'm definitely in the somewhat unhealthy piece. Yeah, yeah, I'm in that 16 yeah, somewhat, somewhat unhealthy. unhealthy. Also, yeah, I no want to know healthy. if this is self-reported or not because I feel oh, yeah. like I've definitely been delusional before about how healthy my diet's been. <laughs> These are definitely self-reported. Yeah. yeah, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be real. Yeah, my diet's pretty freaking healthy, but also I get like I'm in Des Moines and they give me like money to. Yeah. buy food so it's pretty nice yeah i i had chocolate chip so, cookies so for you're breakfast saying the money morning, helps you so. be healthy yeah it turns <laughs> yeah. out okay. yeah, money does enough. help you be healthy yeah, yeah weird out yeah. money helps yeah. yeah every time there's a new study that's well, like weird. x food is actually really healthy for you i'm like is it just because it's really expensive yeah. and rich people are eating it because it might just be that they're rich that's yeah, it's like, why they're if healthy. it's sold at whole foods your data is already yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like skewed. it has nothing to do with what they're eating it's everything yeah. else that they're doing with their life it was, it was like back in like the 2010s when everyone went nuts over quinoa like i was a swimmer at that point and every swimming magazine was like eat as much quinoa as you can possibly stomach and i'll be honest quinoa is my favorite 
grain. The quinoa is delicious. It's just a grain. Like, yeah. Calm down. It's fine. You, it's right. Rice does the same thing. Yeah. Like, it's just a grain. It's fine. It's yummy, but it's fine. It's yeah. not a superfood, Jeff. <laughs> I mean, it looks cool because when you cook it, it's got those little like spiral yeah, things that sure. come out. It's it looks super, really cool. It's super a super cool. tasty food. Okay. <laughs> Are physicians trying to control their weight? Fifty percent say they would like to lose weight. I guess that mirrors the general population. I was right? going to say, I want to know general yeah. population stats on that. Yeah. Like this, this doesn't mean a whole lot like, in isolation. Yeah. I feel like, you know, it's at least half the population is overweight, right? Yeah. I feel like, oh, I, I, w- I would hope it'd be pretty similar in general population. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Well, you made it to the second break. You tolerate us. If you can, consider donating or buying a sticker or something. Visit theshortcoat.com and help us do stuff without having to beg a dean for money. Thanks. For the family med guy, or maybe you who knows something yeah. about math, I don't know. So I recently heard <laughs> somebody say what seemed to me the most asinine sentence I've ever heard. Oh God! Eighteen percent of children are above the ninetieth percentile in BMI. <laughs> what the hell does that mean? Oh no! Eighteen no. percent can be above ninety-five percent. That's not how that works. That's like sixty so, percent of the time. So how right. do these growth charts work? Are they are they static? Are they based off of like what kids were in nineteen ninety-five? I don't know. Where did you hear this? First of all, so we know how reputable of a source this was. It, it was a reasonable source. It okay. was yeah. I mean, the person was spreading a lot of like really good data okay. and they were analyzing a lot of data. But I, the fact that they said this isn't surprising mm-hmm. that this is how it's communicated. It's just not right like you can't have 18 percent of the population above 95 percent maybe the phrasing is a little incomplete i mean i can maybe see someone saying you know compare it to the growth chart in in that in in the 80s or or the 90s today's kids would have been you know yeah more above that old percentile that i could see yeah that was the first thing i thought of as as the way that you said it no that does not make sense we're assuming that's a complete sentence of itself yeah so percentiles are based on like the current population data yeah 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 how often physicians exercise Tenemé, Tenemé likes exercise. Where am I? Yeah. Oh, dude, not now. Now that I'm back in the wagon, I'm in that second block, two, three, two, times, three a times a week. Yeah, yeah. I, I bike to the hospital every day, and that's my excuse to never go to the gym. <laughs> yep, I same it. here. <laughs> I take the stairs, and every time I do, I'm like, I'm never lifting a weight again. Let's do this. Yep. I know that. that I, I wasn't. That, I was in great shape back in Carver. I was biking to class every day. It was great. Bro, you I got noodle arms, but I got thighs of steel. Let's go. <laughs> I, I will say that is like one of my one of my personal like little toxic things is that it's like I took the stairs up two flights to get to my lab. That means I deserve a cookie with lunch. Like <laughs> that's how I burned that off is I went up two flights of stairs. Fair. And then took the elevator the rest of the day. <laughs> Here's how much alcohol physicians drink. Um, oh, you liars! But no. <laughs> <laughs> drinks per week. Yeah. Uh, per week. How do you okay. think they're yeah. lying? No, I'm. I'm just defensive. <laughs> what's the twenty six percent drinks? Uh, just like twenty percent under one under one drink a week. I'm like, that's just impressive. Like, I, I, mean, I guess I just maybe that's just because I associate like. Maybe it's just because we're in the meadows. I just associate like going out and like having a couple beers on like Friday nights, and that would be more than a couple beers on Friday nights. Yeah, I'm I'm in that twenty six percent anyway, so we don't even even get charts. I did learn recently that a lot of people that are interested in like the liver, they refuse to try to do residency in Utah because 
what are they gonna learn <laughs> what are they gonna do <laughs> i saw a map of like like it was yeah. kind of like this like drinks per week per like by state in wisconsin it's just like straight black right and they're like it's like a yeah. color gradient and then you get to utah and it's so white that it looks like not enough data yeah. but like no there was enough data the answer is they don't drink yeah, <laughs> yeah. wisconsin it's like the the united states is a vortex of alcohol with wisconsin at the epicenter yeah, it just radiates out from there i hear iowa's pretty bad too yeah. I, yeah, was bad right next door yeah. yeah it bleeds out from wisconsin that's what i mean oh, it's, it's like iowa would not okay. be as bad if was i mean i was still bad but we would not be as bad if wisconsin weren't right on the border look that's here's all the saying. problem we're enabling each it's other it's cold that's it's flat <laughs> what are you gonna do yeah drink, what are you supposed to do iowa wisconsin says to iowa come on let's go get a drink i know you want a drink. <laughs> i was like all right but i probably told my doctor i wouldn't but yeah but uh yeah, all right yeah. uh let's see our our, our put you down here again. Are physicians trying to cut back on their online Ooh. time? Uh, 54% yes. says no. Yes. I'm in the yes. I'm column. deeply in the I'm yes in the camp yes. on this one. I, like, I'm, pr- I'm pretty Less sure that like more. Instagram reels are actively destroying my attention span at this point. I'm in the no, but... It's because I don't use it a lot that much anyway. Yeah. I've, I've I've actively like intentionally been trying to control this for myself for years. Yeah. So it's like I feel like I'm yeah. I'm pretty good with where I'm at. Yeah. I'm I'm of yeah. course not a physician, but I I did try to set up screen limits for myself recently just to see what would happen. And the thing that happens is I click ignore screen limits. Every- yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I I remember I was watching a Drew Gooden video about that, and it's like he installed an app that's like you know notifies you when you've spent an hour, and it's like all that does is just adds two extra buttons every hour because I, I mean, have to click you know yeah. oh. yes I want to continue oh gosh i used up a third of a calorie doing that the the point the point of these activities to discuss adhd is to give you an extra space for your executive function to kick yes, in. Yes, yes. That's the same reason why we give medicine to kids with ADHD. It is not to. It's not the tool that's going to make you make the better decision. It's just giving you enough space. And I will say that if I looked at when I yeah. looked at my stats, I will say that my screen time had decreased. Yeah. I don't know how because I keep hitting that ignore thing. Yeah. But. No, it was it was like a massive problem. I had to delete my TikTok twice because I realized like that algorithm is so good that it was like continuing mm-hmm. to like give me stuff that was still interesting. It's like I still have this problem where I will just sometimes like lounge forever on Instagram for the same reason. But the in- the algorithm isn't quite good enough. Like once I hit like three or four videos, or I'm like boring, boring, boring. And then I'm like, I've been on the app too long. Sure, sure, TikTok sure, sure, sure. never did mm-hmm. that. TikTok's algorithm yeah. was so it's good. Very, it's very good. Yeah. I'm, I'm I on must TikTok. I'm bad mo- at TikTok because my TikTok algorithm has never done on that to me oh yeah but i only like nerds so like they're on these like 10 minute long videos and i'm like halfway through it i'm like that was good information i'm done with that's a lot yeah (laughs) and also do bear in mind that i first downloaded it during the pandemic so Uh, like i had like there was no consequence to me spending time on there so the algorithm basically got to know me at my most vulnerable yeah (laughs) 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 and then from there on just kept feeding that to me i find the the algorithm starts out very specific and this makes total sense right it starts out yeah. very specific to your interest and then over time it gets so general that i'm yeah. more likely to get bored although occasionally somebody drops a good tiktok like jeff about yeah. neural tube defects <laughs> and then i yeah i do find that i think that I, i've probably created more tiktok videos than i've watched yeah videos <laughs> that's, at this point. That's well fair. i've Which definitely cre- i've definitely done more podcast episodes yeah. than i've watched that's really yeah. <laughs> currently like my my instagram just like thinks that all i care about is horses and i'm perfectly happy to keep it that way because i do love horses my and instagram it's just, is skiing and i'm just like yeah, yeah. I just watch like, people play in the snow i'm I good with it. that yeah now, now granted i my I, instagram I, is people scaring each other <laughs> <laughs> 
Although I did go on Instagram after like a really bad horse ride and I just saw all these people doing amazing and I was like, actually, this is terrible. Why are you all so good at horseback riding? Tenemay, do you avoid social media? Oh, uh, yeah. Good. I try to. Good for you. Good. I, I feel like it's not, it's not, it's not good. It's not good for your mental health. I think, yeah. I think at this point, we all agree it's bad. It's just, it's us how bad. I think people kind of disagree on how much it affects you. But yeah. for me, I feel like it has, it has a big impact. And so I try to stay away from it. I try to seek, you know, interaction face to face as much as possible. Yeah. yeah. Um, do, do families ask you about yeah. it? Social media use? Yeah. Is that something that comes um, up in some people do. Yeah. It's not it's not something that, that that comes into play a whole lot unless someone has complaint like related to sleep or like attention. Sure. But a, a lot of times I don't address it with patients just because there's like so yeah, many. there's so many a lot things. of things to do with a lot of these patients. <laughs> there was a recent study that yeah. uh, the Bloomberg Public Health the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health recently talked about a study on their podcast um, that basically says there is not enough data to suggest that um, social media is uniquely or inherently bad for teenagers sure. yeah. for their mental health, which I thought was a phenomenal study. But the caveat was this is still something that deserves to be looked at more. Like there are still some effects of it that need to be discussed because there's some pros, there are some cons. Well, like anything else, should, it's dose mm-hmm. dependent, right? Yeah, yeah, and we need to make sure exactly. that, the, that the companies themselves are helping us gather the data we need in order to make this decision yeah well yeah it's like i kind of agree that like you know there's nothing that's necessarily inherently wrong with social media although i think it relies too heavily on platform decisions like for what when it came out that a lot of these platforms were basing putting things on your feed by engagement meaning more stuff that made people angry or made people want to like Mm -hmm. type comments was getting to the front that was when i was like because i will notice this where it's like i'll be on social media too long i start feeling more angry and cynical about the world and that that's also another one of my words like i need to stop now because this is making me like the world less i will say my main issue with it is that it's not it's not reality it's like yeah. the, the things people say on social media, they, they, they would not say in they real not life. Not say in real life. You know? Like there's no filter. And, and, and if they and if they would say it in real life, the, the tone would not be the same as a tone that you perceive yeah. on social media. Yeah. Um, and it's also so, like I mean I don't a lot of times <laughs> Yeah, it's like when people when I meet people who have different like political views in real life and I talk to them, it, it's not like what you see online when people are just like attacking each other. You know, it, yeah. it's a it, it's a lot more normal of an interaction when you actually have to look at the person you're talking to. Yeah. Um, I'm going to skip this one. So I think that's why I don't <laughs> like it because like it, it makes people think the world is the way that it's not, which is everyone's, you know, upset with each other and can't have, you know, good discourse. But in reality, you can have good discourse, hmm. but just not on social media. Yeah. This slide is how many physicians are married or living with a partner? That's surprising to me. Well, yeah, it's not surprising a, to me at all. Isn't there a <laughs> isn't right, there yeah. a I don't know a, a story that's told about physicians that divorce is rampant among yeah physicians? that's neurosurgeons they don't count. <laughs> Jesus, <Christ. laughs> holy crap! Oh that's probably right. Well, you I don't know. know. You know the, the I don't old, know if that's the old right. joke is like how do you hide twenty bucks from a neurosurgeon and it's pin it to their kid's forehead. Oh, oh yeah, I've heard that <laughs> one. Yeah, <laughs> to the neurosurgeon out there, I'm kidding. It's a joke. We're just clowning on, like, listen, ortho, neuro, we're, we clown on you because we're jealous, okay? Yeah, I don't have a Ferrari. Good for you guys. Yeah, it's like, keep, keep making keep making that bread. Yep, <laughs> not, but even even the divorce statistic there is very, I think, low. I can I, tell you why. There's a, there's a very obvious answer here that it needs to be taken out of medicine. It's not the medicine aspect of physicians. It's mm-hmm. the class. 
Oh, true. Wealthy people yeah. tend to stay together longer. Wealthy yeah. people tend to marry more than people that are poor. There are a lot of reasons for this. And it, I don't think that it's causal. I don't think being married makes you more wealthy, though yeah. certainly having yeah. two incomes helps, right? But yeah. like, just when you are more financially stable, it is easier to create these lifelong stable relationships. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, mm -hmm. people that are higher up on the socioeconomic ladder tend to be married and we'll tend to stay less. married. Yeah. yeah. And also, I believe also, isn't it also people who are higher up in the SES also tend to marry later in life. So are like a little bit more like they've dated for longer and have like more of a certainty and have lived longer with their partner before actually getting married. So I don't know. Maybe. I, I, I remember hearing that a while back. I, can't I, I will say the, that the, the best place to get married, the, somebody got mad at Princeton about this a couple years ago. This lady made a comment and they're like, rah, rah, but it's true. The best place to find your spouse, college. Why? Because they're at college. And they are probably on their way up the socioeconomic oh, ladder, just okay, like you. Sure. Or they have come from high up on the ladder, just Un like unless you. Unless they're getting a fine arts degree and then... <laughs> well, yeah, that's why you just... I you, clown. I clown. You, you go to the biology building, right? You go to you go to the economics building. You it's go to the right It's just turning buildings. into that one scene from Marvelous Mrs. Maisel where she's talking to all the women about like, you shouldn't find... Don't find a husband in the art department. Go to the business department. They're going to make the money. <laughs> What's next? Yeah, grass with flat lines. Oh, so blah, interesting. Blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> How physicians describe their marriage. 82%. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Let's see. Does your spouse or partner also work in healthcare? Mm. Not, not this especially. This looks pretty expected. Yeah. 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 20% says do, yes as a physician. 25% yeah. says yes in the healthcare yeah, field, but not as a physician. Yeah, I was going to say, it's like basically like 55% met their partner before becoming a doctor. Mm -hmm. Other met sometime after, like yeah. probably met in medical school mm -hmm. somewhere around there. I will also suggest that there I've seen a study recently and I don't know like how good the study was. I didn't like tear it apart like I would on you know, like a grand rounds or something. But like the the study was essentially that in higher SES couples, one of them tends to be more of a stay at home parent by choice because yeah. it's like now they have the resources to fully invest in the children and it is an investment for them. They're, they're seeing it as like making sure that the child's needs are met because that's the next that's the family legacy right yeah yeah which may or may not be a factor here i don't know i my my wife is also in medical school and i love that we're both going to be doctors it's going to be dope do physicians have a spiritual or religious belief 69 percent say yes i would be surprised i was surprised this was so high I'm yeah not, I, I, don't know. I will I'm say surprised by this. i'm going to be interested to see how this evolves over time yeah, well, Jeff has Jeff is a religious. You get your spiritual. Yeah, guy. devoutly so. Yeah, and yeah. so how do you? How yeah, do you I'm not surprised this? by this. Well, one because we live in the United States, and the majority of people in the United States have spiritual or religious beliefs. So yeah, it's not really that surprising compared to the population as a whole. But two, there is an inherent aspect of altruism in most religions. There are obviously every religion has its pros and its cons, right? But like most religious traditions are communal traditions, and it's at least ostensibly externally facing right so there's this idea in uh, christianity or islam or judaism of alms of making sure that you are taking care of the poor right mm. these are built into the religious m milieu right and so it's not at all surprising that people that g grew up with the idea that i have a responsibility to take care of other people would go into a career where they're taking care of other people Fair it enough. just kind of checks now obviously there are other things that come along with that especially cultural baggage in the u.s but yeah that, that checks for religion generally. Yeah. Also, the definition of spiritual makes this a little bit harder to define because like just yeah. having a spiritual Pretty belief broad. is slightly different than like following an organized religion. They're in the same ballpark, which is why I assume they lump them together. But it also like 
it makes me question like you know like what what defines a spiritual belief yeah like are they just doing like astrology <laughs> not not to clown on it but it, th- is it that yoga? is a, that yeah, is a part of it yeah i mean to be True. fair that here's the thing astrology has probably about as much evidence base as most religious yeah. or spiritual practices we clown on it because i think they put too much stock in it yeah yeah that, it's like if i get <laughs> as an aries i <laughs> yeah they're like yeah. let me tell you all about you yeah let me like, tell you all about you yeah which i <laughs> like listen i love taking those astrology quizzes but it is fun also to go back through the results and be like that seems uncanny, but also that's such a broad definition that like I can squint at and make any of these apply to me. Yeah. Because guess what? Everybody contains multitudes. Toyota. Kinds Fun. of cars that physicians oh. drive. Toyota is the top. The top. That makes sense, I guess, to me. I mean, not everybody. I guess it makes sense. Wait, I love wait, wait. how. Can, I you, love can you move the. Uh... No, I just love how overrepresented Tesla is. That makes me so happy. <laughs> <laughs> Eight percent. Tesla's yeah. killing it. Yeah. Also, Hyundai. Uh, Where are my Hyundai people at? You gotta be. All of those neurosurgeons I, I, I'm on team the Chevy. Porsche down there. I'm on team Chevy. Chevy? Oh, that's not bad. Yeah. What kind of Chevy? Uh, it's a it's an Equinox. Okay. Uh, I've had it for for quite a while. Uh, it's got it's got a ton of miles. It's still it's still going. So I love it. All right. Yeah, I feel <laughs> like I see a lot of Toyotas in the parking lot. Yeah. I like Toyotas because it's fuel efficient That's yeah fuel efficient it. yeah uh, uh fuel efficient dead reliable reliable yeah I, and when you're a busy person you know maybe you don't want to have to deal with an audi i remember when we started making fun of priuses the first time they came out and guess what they're still on the road they're still yeah. the same yeah. ones yeah, yeah. The same exact same. <laughs> they're still going yeah everyone clowned on priuses and who's laughing now yeah yeah now I, I feel like another part of this is that as a doctor like you pretty much have to go into work like yeah. a lot of times like you you being there is what allows a five other people to, to get a paycheck right yeah, yeah. so you can, so it's like so you could the audi you, you could can't be, have a car that's not starting in the, in the morning like, yeah, the, yeah that thing's got to start and you, and you got to go the audi could um, be so your uh, toyota is so favored yeah the audi could be your wife's car or something or your, yeah. your husband's yes. car yeah. or your non your non-medical professional <laughs> car yes real talk though i'm i'm a definitely like not that i'm going into emergency medicine or anything but i love to bike to work like that's just yeah. that's Agreed. my bread and butter fair enough yeah I, I need to get some better cold weather biking stuff so I can keep going year round because yeah. I do like. Also, I just noticed this. Can you go back one second? I just noticed that Porsche and Acura and Hyundai and Nissan are all tied at three percent, which there's something about that that's very telling to me. <laughs> like that Porsche and Hyundai. I love my Hyundai. They're not status cars. <laughs> so I love that but that's Porsche tied. Is, yeah, yeah. Because I listen. Porsche is kind of one of my dream cars. So. Like I, I probably wouldn't drive it that often, but it's like if I have the disposable income to have a fancy car, I want a Porsche. I just I've said this on the show before recently. I just purchased a 2013 Audi convertible. Ooh, and I love that car. <laughs> I love that car. I don't know why I love that car. It's just a car. That's how I feel about all cars. I have never gotten into a vehicle and thought this is what I want in life. But it's. Yeah. There's something about, I don't, I can't, I, I'm, tr- I'm trying to deconstruct my love for this vehicle. I'm, first of all, I'm not allowed to drive it every day. It, yeah. is a, it sits in the garage because it has 141,000 miles on it. It's an expensive car to put gas in and to maintain. So I don't drive it yeah. to work. I'll tell you what car I would get excited about though. If somebody actually figures out how to have a self-driving car and I can just do telemedicine visits on the way to the office, uh, that's what I want. Yeah. I want to sit in the backseat of my own car. That's what I want. I get I get where you're coming from, though, Dave, because I'm like a very conflicted 
like car person because on the one hand i don't like using them for everyday transport i prefer like biking or public yeah. transit type stuff that said i've already talked about i really like car racing and i also really like my hyundai so yeah. i'm like i also then again i also do drive to a lot of rural places where it's like i would bike but i would like living so yes. <laughs> uh, how much vacation do physicians take three to four weeks per year is the most seems most common i think that seems pretty like accurate. seems reasonable yeah yeah, yeah. you imagine seems taking average. more than six weeks of vacation sure. a year that's that's pretty cool i mean do do places offer that much i feel like three or four well i mean like people going into like private practice you can kind of do whatever yeah, you, you want do, you can do whatever you I want i guess that's true so my father-in-law is an orthodontist and he does what he wants to do yeah. love that for him yeah i do too because he takes me skiing <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> Oh yes, vacations. Best slide. How key are vacations to your happiness and mental health? This feels like a very low, like very softball kind of slide. It's like, do you like vacation? I actually don't feel like vacation is important to my happiness and mental health. No, like that's not who I am as a person. Do you like breaks? I thought about this very seriously. Now hang on a minute. I thought about this very seriously yesterday. Okay, wait a minute. Before you get into that, I just want to point out that you're like, I don't think vacations. I'm not. I'm not a vacation kind of person. Like almost like Dave. You're a vacation kind of person. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> most people, obviously, most people are very much vocation people. I'm not saying that the, most people are wrong. I'm just saying that, like, I've thought about this very seriously for my happiness. Like, for example, I like the big city. I love living in a big city. And I was trying to figure out why yesterday. It's not restaurants. I don't like to go out to eat that often. I just don't like to be around, like, loud while I'm eating. That's sure. just not me, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm not really a shopping kind of guy. I don't really feel the need to go to, like, sports events or the theater or museums like i enjoy these things but like i'm not you know you're not doing like them all blowing the out of my mind to do right. them right like i'm not running from one to the next i was trying to figure out why the heck do i like big city so much and it's the anonymity that's what i like about big city uh, okay. it's the same with vacation i'm trying mm. to figure out like i don't really enjoy vacation because you, i can rest at home you just you know? said not two minutes ago that like oh i really like that my dad has free time because he takes me skiing yeah my, like, fa- so- <laughs> yeah my father-in-law pays for skiing and i do enjoy skiing ah, but i see if i'm honest if if and that's because that's what we do at christmas time right we don't open sure. presents we go skiing for christmas but yeah. if i'm honest if i never went skiing again i could get by i'd be fine you know like i don't i don't think that it's necessary for my happiness that is our last slide. Well, not to ruin it. I, I was going to say, that's kind note. of a Sorry, downer. Because I, I also like, because you just said, like, I can rest at home. That also counts as a vacation. Like, traveling yes. and vacations are not the same thing. I think most mm-hmm. people would, I think most people think of vacations as a doing. I disagree. But hence the need for well, the word no, yeah, staycation. I, I disagree We needed a whole other word yeah, because like, we felt like we wanted to mean something like else. Just taking time off work. Yeah, like I didn't go anywhere for Christmas this year. My family came here and we had Christmas. That was still a Christmas vacation because I didn't go to lab. I put all my experiments on hold. I spent time with my... Well, I didn't put all of them on hold. I spent time with my family. I spent time with my pet. We went out and did like stuff that I wouldn't normally do. Like that's a vacation. Just because we didn't go to Cancun doesn't mean it wasn't a vacation. Yeah, Jeff. <laughs> I, I didn't mean for that to sound so defensive. It's just it's really hard mm. to say Cancun without sounding <laughs> Cancun. That's, it's a naturally defensive yeah. sounding word. Yeah. So so it's like I would say that like vacation does not mean travel because honestly traveling like I I like traveling. It's freaking stressful, dude. <laughs> yeah. See, I don't know about the vacation thing either because like like just taking the time off. Like for example, you know what I did for spring break last year? For med med school year one mm-hmm. spring break, ten days off. 
I signed up for an online course through Johns Hopkins on epidemiology because I was bored. Yeah. And I did that instead. I just, I'm not really a time off kind of guy. It's not my personality. That's fair. So. I think you might be in the 5% though. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> like, that's fine. And that's like, fine. You can be in the 5%. Yeah. The rest of us are going to be... <laughs> yeah, we're going to be on vacation. Yeah, we're going to be on vacation. <laughs> I, I support it. Well, that's our show. Jeff, Miranda, Dr. Coney, thanks for being a part of it. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. And, yeah. and what kind of ding-dong would I be if I didn't thank you, Shortcuts, for making us part of your week? If you're new here and you like what you heard today, follow the show wherever fine podcasts are available. I like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. The show is made possible by a generous donation by Carver College of Medicine, student government, and ongoing support from the Writing and Humanities program. Our music is by Dr. Vox and Catmosphere. I'm Dave Etler saying don't let the bastards get you down. Talk to you in one week. Hi, Shortcoats. Look, life in medical education, life in America, life in the world is often difficult. And I often wish I could help. All I have is this podcast, but in my wildest dreams, you have the support you need to lead a life of your choosing. You deserve to be happy, healthy, and successful in whatever ways you define those words. So if you need support because you've experienced racism, discrimination, harassment, mental health crises, I want you to be able to get the help that you need. And so I'm going to put some links in the show notes to some resources that you can use. But the bottom line is that for what it's worth, I see you. I know you're out there. I wish I could do more. Maybe I can in ways that I don't understand yet or know about. But I see you and I'm glad you're here and other people are too. This short code podcast is a proud member of the MedEd Media Network. Inspiration, information, and guidance on your journey to medical school and beyond at mededmedia.com.